<laughs> I'm on my fourth, uh, like, 11.2% uh, beer. So, in case nice. I'm nice. slightly punchier than usual, you know? Like, yeah, uh, I had to raid the wine cellar, basically, so I'm, I'm drinking, like, homemade fucking wine. Uh, uh, before that, I had, like, a big, big super shot of whiskey, and now I've just been drinking wine, so, uh, yeah. I've got some Lafroyd quarter cask. Oh, you bitch. I sh- I should really go grab it, shouldn't I? You should. You should just. I you should, should just torture should. me with that shit. I should. I'll be right back. I'll okay. Right back. I'm so jealous right now. I'm sorry. I just put the uh, earpiece back in. So. I'm so jealous right now. So jealous. That's. That's where you go. I had. I had. You see where my finger is? Mm-hmm. That's so much I had last night. <laughs> wow. I. 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 This is this was my uh, I'm turning forty in a few days, and this was my uh, gift to myself. Awesome, excellent. I am drinking it. I have a Jack Daniels glass. I apologize. I don't have a proper uh, <laughs> glass, but like uh, Lafroig speaks for itself as far as I'm concerned. No, a, wh- a whiskey that big, put it in a tumbler, put it in a fucking uh, <laughs> whatever the fuck you want to put it in. It don't matter. It's it really does not. It defies curvature of glasses, is what it does. Yeah, and it fits in my desk drawer. That's dangerous. Oh wow! Oh, I I hate you right now. Um, look at that! Look at that! Look at that! You fucking! I hate you! I hate you so much right now. I apologize. It's all right. Uh, I got I got extra money coming next week. I'm just gonna buy myself some cur- fucking Lafroig and yeah, uh, feel all everything will be good. I haven't in the bought world. scotch in a while. Like it's been over a year since I bought scotch. Yeah. Um, but forty is uh, in like five days, and you know how that goes. Mm-hmm. No good time. Good time to fucking buy scotch, man. Yeah. All right, let's get this show on the road. Yep. Uh, we'll do wings. Yeah. You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on sight. The following podcast about film often contains foul language, discussions of an adult nature, and spoilers for the films discussed are to be expected. Now take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 197. And I'm your host, Lee. I'll kiss you with a gun butt, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Daniel. I was trying to just get one more Heine for you, Harper. How you doing, sir? I've got a Third Coast Old Ale here uh, from Bell's Brewery. A little barley wine to go nice. with a movie from 1927. First <laughs> Oscar winner. First Best Picture winner. Although it was called, uh, what, Best Production? Best Production, and then mm-hmm. Best Artistic Production or something like that. Was something the... like that. And I, we'll get into this, I think. Um, 
but I do think that's a useful distinction, which they completely annihilated by the next year, um, because it does distinguish between like, oh, this was made very well, versus mm-hmm. uh, this was made very well and also good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, and I do feel like a lot of the like kind of big tentpole action, you know, like Avengers Endgame or whatever, mm-hmm. would fit very well into like best production. You know, right? Like, yes, huge movie, everybody loves it. You know, et cetera. And then like best artistic, like I feel like that would distinguish between the different categories of films uh, better. Although than what we've uh, than what we get to today. Although then people will just be complaining that. Marvel has a monopoly on best production for like twenty years, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, it is like like Pixar wins. Like, I I haven't looked at the numbers. Sorry, I didn't Google this in advance because I didn't think we were gonna go down this road. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, Pixar has won like more than half of like the best animated feature. You know, yeah, uh, since they instituted that category, and the reason why is like like Pixar makes really good movies. I mean, you know, and. Of course, you're gonna want although, a whole bunch of it, you know. Although you know, it feels really weird to like complain about something like uh, having a monopoly on like best production or something like that when it's oh, it's owned by Disney and they have a monopoly on everything now. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Pretty soon, it's just gonna be the uh, the, the internal uh, Disney awards. Just yeah, uh, you know, it's you, like it's yeah. just gonna be the it's just gonna be the uh, internal awards. From the company, it's like you know, like best uh, ROI over last year. You know, best return on investment from fiscal year twenty twenty four or whatever. Like they're literally just going to be giving awards based on like like the way that other companies do, which is kind of all the academy has always been. Yeah, it's always been this kind of industry insider. Like we kind of know what we're doing on this. We're just kind of giving awards to our friends who have made money for the industry at mm-hmm. large. But now it's all going to just be in one company, and so it's just going to be like you know, you get uh, seven out of ten Mickey Mouse ears. Uh, <laughs> in in twenty twenty five, someone's going to like you know some new series is going to win like The Mandalorian for you know, <laughs> like that's going to be what the award's going to be renamed. You know, you you have officially won the Baby Yoda. Yeah, yeah, that's the Baby Yoda exactly. Yeah. Right, right. Baby Yoda for for best Star Wars related franchise product. <laughs> we should move on from this and actually talk about the thing we're supposed to be talking about. Yeah, we're so we're going to be talking about waffle for twenty minutes and then talk about the thing we're supposed to talk. Well, about. Well, I mean, if we do that, we'll definitely annoy a lot of people on YouTube. So I'm I'm really up I, for it. I would be really excited to uh, spend an hour doing what we've been doing. And then literally like move on to wings and then go, yeah, that was pretty good. And then end. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we are we are doing wings from nineteen twenty seven. Yeah. And uh man we're, we're not we're not making the sitcom joke. We we did that. No, last we week. did that. We've done that. Uh I've... go back if you want the sitcom joke, go back to last week. I really thought about it and I was like, nah, it's probably <laughs> not a good time. Yeah. I thought about it, like doing it again as if we hadn't done it, and then thought like it would be funnier. To just do the joke and then say, go back and listen to last week. And then we get extra listens on last week, assuming it's not literally the same eight people who listen to every episode. Yeah, I was determined up until about four hours ago or so. I was like, you know what? I'm going to write down the cast list for Wings, the sitcom, and I'm going to start reading that and see if Daniel picks up on it. I would. I would. I actually know that cast list very well. 
because I watched it many times as a teenager. But uh, yeah, we can move on. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so uh, we have one comment here, and uh, this is on our Facebook group. Uh, this is from uh, my friend Peter Davies, fellow beer nerd and uh, movie uh, nerd as well. He said he watched Beyond the Darkness for the first time uh, recently, which is absurd because I adore the work of Joe Diamato. Of course, this is uh, a sleazy little number with some crude yet great effects and gore, some head-scratching moments that just add to the insanity, and of course, an amazing score from Goblin. Uh, a must, but I think I'm preaching to the already corrupted choir. The release from 88 Films here in the UK looks great, too. Yeah, I haven't seen that, actually. Um, yeah. It's an Italian horror. It's just one I haven't gotten around to. There, I mean, there's... There's so many Joe Diamato films I haven't gotten around to because he made like 8,000 of them, so, you know. Well, yeah. Put it on the list. Yeah, we should, might as well, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the list will never end. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you, Peter. And moving on, uh, we can just talk about what we've watched in the last little while. So I'll throw over to you first, Daniel. Sure. I uh, just uh, did a little rewatch of a movie I haven't seen in... Um, I don't know, maybe 10 years, maybe a little bit less. I don't know. Like, it's probably been 10 years. Uh, Goodfellas showed up on uh, Netflix. Oh. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love that movie and rewatched it. And I still, I mean, I still love that movie. It's amazing. <laughs> it, you know, I think, you know, my, my, my thing was like, oh, I'm not having a beer. I'm going to sit down. I'm ready to go to bed, but I kind of want to watch a little something. My wife has already gone to bed. Yeah. Um, and so I'll put it on. Uh, I'll watch 30 minutes. I'll watch the kind of opening sequence uh, and then kind of, you know, turn off and, and go to bed. And it, it grabbed me. It really did. Like, that narrative and that kind of structure. I feel like Goodfellas is Scorsese at his peak. Um, yeah. Which is a very unique conclusion that literally no one else has ever... Uh, no, made. I mean, uh, in... <laughs> first I'm hearing of it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that is, like, kind of Scorsese, like, doing, like, his own story, his own kind of narrative about himself filtered through this other person's story, uh, Henry Hill's story. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like his kind of visual acumen and this kind of idea of, we're going to cut this to the bones. Like, Goodfellas is two hours and 20 minutes long. And today, you would definitely make that as a three and a half hour picture it's like, you know, it yeah even it's lean as fuck it is part, like yeah. there there is it was considered an epic at the time and it is an epic in terms of like kind of what it's trying to do to kind of tell this story um but it cuts out every extraneous detail without ever really like losing its characterization without ever really doing anything to like you get a very clear sense of who all these people are and i think mm -hmm. that that's really kind of the that's the bit that kind of makes it the masterpiece. Like it, it, it is both incredibly streamlined and incredibly nuanced and complicated. And you can get so much out of it um, without ever feeling like you're sort of missing detail. Um, yeah. I mean, like and, put it up and, against, and it breathes. I mean, like there are like, like long sequences of people just kind of talking to each other, right. you know? Yeah. So, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say like, put it up against casino. And I, I really like Casino, but Casino is <laughs> Scorsese, like, at, like, really going well, big. Well, it's, it's, it's the retread. It's the, like, you know, now that I've made Goodfellas and everybody loved that and it's, you know, kind of the big Oscar caliber, you know, kind of thing that kind of brought me back. One of the things that I was thinking about and rewatching it is, like, kind of at the end of it when Henry Hill is uh, 
sorry, we should probably do this movie at some point. Um, <laughs> you know, um, one of the things I was thinking about is that kind of at the end when Henry Hill is kind of going through his like cocaine um, binge, mm-hmm. is Scorsese himself himself spent ten years basically like hiding in a room with uh, aluminum foil on the windows, like on cocaine, right? Um, and so that's something that Scorsese knows very well. That's something, mm-hmm. you know, and it feels like a cocaine binge. It feels like that last little sequence where, like, I woke up this morning and this is kind of my day where I'm constantly seeking coke and I'm selling guns. And then the guy, I take the guns to the guy, to my buddy who we've seen through the movie during his, like, cool, like, moments of, like, you know, kind of kicking ass and taking names. But here we're seeing him in his, uh, you know, kind of bullshitty, like, I'm in my, like, cargo shorts and being <laughs> an Italian mobster asshole, like, who, like, you know, this is just the day-to-day thing, you know, plus the paranoia and all that stuff. But the idea that we're kind of seeing him in that mode feels very kind of Scorsese kind of telling his story just a little bit of, like, this is yeah. kind of where I was. And I feel like a lot of the sort of acclaim for Goodfellas is not just its artistic quality, which is, you know, uh, Tom Notch, um, but also the, you know, Scorsese's back. And I feel like Casino is like, now that now that I don't have to prove myself anymore, I can kind of do the fuller version of this and kind of do the more masturbatory version. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that Scorsese gets a lot of shtick for kind of like, oh, you only make mobster movies, which isn't true. No. Um, he makes a lot of really weird, obscure, kind of indie stuff. Um, I mean, Kundun, like I had to was like, look at Kundun, like that is not a like big commercial picture and that is not a gangster movie at all. You know, he's known for the gangster movies because like that's, you know, everybody's seen Goodfellas basically. And I think that's the mark of how good Goodfellas is. is it becomes the defining moment of his career, you know, despite the fact that it's like his like ninth movie or something, mm, yeah. you know, it's not probably not quite that many, but anyway, Goodfellas is on Netflix. If you haven't watched it in a while, um, definitely worth a watch. Um, I'm going to throw in here that I watched about the first hour of The Irishman, mm-hmm. and uh, I have thoughts, which I will wait until I have finished the film okay. uh, to to discuss. Very mixed thoughts at this point, <laughs> you know, um, which are, I mean, I mean, here, why don't, I'll, I'll just kind of lay it out in like 10 seconds, you know. Casting 80-year-old actors to play to like 20-year-old people is even with like high technology uh, always going to be a problem. It's you know, it's yeah, it, you can they, you they can had, you can tell Robert De Niro is 80 years old and just like, play the way he moves. Like, curb stopping and motherfucker and it's like no, that's not. That's not what's no, happening no, no, no. here. No. Like no. he's like he like vaguely kicks and the guy goes, "Ah," you know, and it's like um, it, it would have yeah. behooved them to cast a couple stunt doubles and put Robert De Niro's face on them. <laughs> or just not, like, I, I mean, I feel like this is kind of the thing of, like, the fetishization of, like, oh, we're gonna get De Niro and and Pesci and, uh, <laughs> you know, Al Pacino in the same movie and mm-hmm. do the thing. The problem becomes less... <laughs> Less the idea of doing the story and more the idea of like we're gonna pretend it's still 1981. Yeah, you know? like yeah, you yeah. know, and like you look at the makeup in Goodfellas and like you know, like at the beginning of Goodfellas, Robert De Niro's character is supposed to be 29, and De Niro himself is like 41 or something. I, I yeah, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. He, he's in his 40s, you know. 
and then kind of later on they kind of put makeup on him to look at and so uh, and it doesn't really look real but it looks more real in a weird way than doing the digital de-aging stuff yeah um, i'm not like i'm not saying like digital de-aging is bad like i i think like something like um uh the marvel movies kurt um, russell in uh, guardians of the galaxy sure you know when you're when you're using it as okay we've got like kind of a short sequence of like an actor that we're going to kind of use we're going to see him older we're going to see her older and then like we need to de-age them for like a brief period where they don't have to do a whole lot of kind of physical movement it feels fine mm-hmm. but then when like the bulk of your movie is like let's watch this person who is actually very old be young i feel like the whole logic of it is like you know let's and maybe that's how they got the funding. Like it's only like I, I don't even blame him for that. The story seems pretty good, but <laughs> it's constantly distracting, and I and I feel kind of I have complicated feelings about that. You know, like I feel like the Irishman would be a better movie from the third of it I've seen, and I apologize for talking about it from the third <laughs> I've seen, but I feel like it would be a better movie if they had cast forty old actors. You know, right, right, right. You know, yeah. yeah, but you know, let, let's wait till you finish it, and then we'll. we'll yeah, yeah, come no, back we'll, to we'll it. do. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to get that done this week. Yeah, one thing I'll mention that I watched uh, recently was uh, the Crater Lake Monster from 1977. Not, not quite good as uh, Goodfellas. Uh, <laughs> so not, not one of the best movies of its kind ever made. No, not, not even close. Um, I'm not even sure. Yeah. It it actually does have really good stop motion effects. Better than the stop motion effects in Goodfellas, I would assume. Better than the ones in The Irishman at least. Um <laughs> the stop motion effects in The Irishman being Robert De Niro walking. Yes. I, agree. <laughs> uh, I do I do sometimes think like there were some moments where I'm like you could cut to like a Gumby cutout and it would be more convincing than what I'm I yeah, am but, trying not to be ageist in, or ableist in this, but also, like, some of the photography is really obviously bad. Anyway, please, please. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Crater Lake Monster, it's kind of this just throwback to 1950s B-movies, you know, of, like, a monster attacking. Um, and, I mean, the stop-motion stuff is pretty much as good as the Harryhausen stuff. It, you know, it's fairly on that level. There's not enough of it. That's one of the big problems. There, there's definitely not enough of it. Basically... Uh, a meteorite crashes into Crater Lake and uh, incubates dinosaur egg. So, uh, as well, as you do, like that happens every day. That's yeah, yeah. It's a coronavirus. That's right, the, right. Yeah. Well, what is it like a plesiosaur or whatever the fuck the plesiosaur. Lo- plesiosaur? The Loch Ness monster is supposed to be basically that's what this is. So of course it starts munching on people, and then the local law enforcement has to like track it down and kill it and shit. Right? It's got like two hillbilly comedy relief buddies who are kind of the heroes of the thing for a while the local sheriff he's kind of like he's given distractions throughout the movie to stop him from solving the case uh including this uh budget version of sam elliott who just this this side plot that comes out of nowhere where he's just like he's out of booze so he robs the store and kills the guy at the liquor store and steals booze and becomes like a fugitive and shit. And it, it's just out of nowhere. The acting in this is absolutely across the board fucking terrible. It's like the worst shot on video 1980s film bad acting that you could think of. But it was made in like 1977. So yeah. it's ahead of its time. 
and it is yeah Yeah. but um but i i I still like i still get like joking and you're like yeah no it kind of is and i'm like no it's totally is no i agree i agree i'm with you i'm with you yeah no you're not wrong my 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 answer to this is you watched a really fun good movie and i watched goodfellas and i feel like cheated of your experience that's you know well, we should put the crane. <laughs> hey, we we we've got spots open in the 1970s, so that's all I'm well, saying. You know, like... We only have spots in the 1970s because I knew when we got even close to that, we could both fill every year with 100 movies. That's so, the thing, yeah. yeah. Uh, but we can add it to the list. But this I watched is... a I watched a video of uh, the RZA talking about uh, the influences from Shaw Brothers films mm-hmm. on on the music of the Wu Tang Clan. Yep. And I was a little like, well, we're just going to do all those movies. Like, we, we should just do, like, I really think um, when we get to the 70s, uh, sometime in 2022, um, <laughs> you know, we should just avoid everything else and just literally do the Shaw Brothers movies. And then just Shaw go, Brothers all movies. Right. And that was the 70s. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I really want to do this project. And just, like, my whole thing with They Must Be Destroyed on site at this point is trolling our audience. That's all I think this podcast is for. We're definitely our audience is there for it. Is there for it? They will come back. You know. Oh yeah, that was great, guys. You did a great job. You know. Um, That's that's one thing I've taken away from like our audience, especially like you know our sort of podcasting peers who listen to us and just go like, we like your podcast because you just go weird places that we never fucking expect. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that that would be something to do as long as. Here, here's the rule. We will do Shaw Brothers films, but we're never doing a fucking film that's actually directed by the RZA because his films are terrible. <laughs> I have not seen them, and I'm fine with not doing them. That's fine. Although well, we we should definitely do Ghost Dog: Way of the Samurai. Oh, we should, yeah. When yeah, in yeah. 2027 we get there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like there was like a Facebook, you know, share which was you know. These guys are literally doing like movie. Like, they're doing a trip to the moon mm-hmm. you know, as a as a as a podcast, and it's like, yeah, you could have done that, it, you know. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm, Anybody I, could. I, Anybody. Could. I want. I want to throw it out to like you know our, our brothers in podcasting out there. It's like don't feel constricted. Don't 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 put these artificial. Uh, constrictions on your uh, on your on your podcasting. Don't don't just be a horror podcast anymore. You know you know branch out. You, you know you know what we are. We're post capitalism. Nobody pays us to do this. Uh-huh. You and me. I mean, we are embedded within capitalism, and we can't kind of like avoid that. So, like the movies that we have available, and like our time, and all that sort of thing. Like you know. Um, we can't literally just do whatever we want. But ultimately, um, this project uh, is is a mark of what you can do when you do not derive your income from this and you can just kind of do whatever you want to do. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's kind of a beautiful thing. Like I actively, like if my living was based on doing this podcast, we would have to do particular kinds of movies and it would definitely affect the content. And, um, I definitely couldn't like, <laughs> I, I definitely could not like uh, put in the musical selections every week that we do if we if we were like being paid by some corporation or some. Well, shit. if we were doing this for a living, we could afford to pay for you know certain you know. I, I would whatever. Yeah, yeah. If, if you know if we're pulling in like the fucking Kevin Smith money or something like that. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, nobody needs to hear about the economics of podcasting, which I've um, thought a bit about. Anyway, um, we should we should eventually get to our actual movie. So. We should probably. Yeah, we should probably yeah. do that. So yeah, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna play some podcast promos, a little bit of music, and we're gonna come back and talk about wings. How about throwing a little beach party for yourself and letting these people to get to know you oh so better? Hey kids, it's me, your good friend Alistair, here to tell you about a wonderful movie podcast called Get Soft with Dr. Snuggles. What happens is, every two weeks, the love of my life, Siobhan, and I are joined by a cast of friends, family, internet weirdos, and special guests to guide you through the wild and woolly world of erotic thrillers and softcore films. Everything from alien abduction, intimate secrets, to Zarita, Passions Avenger, and all points in between. Check it out now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's that horrid man talking about? Wings from 1927, directed by William A. Wellman. William A. Well- Wellman. He's. A ta- I, I'm not saying he's not a talented guy. I'm just saying it's a funny name. 
That's all. <laughs> well, here's the thing. He is, along with a few of the stars in this, a World War One aviator. Well, that totally affects the fact that I do or do not think his name is funny. Well, maybe some of his persona also is like a reaction to how funny his name actually is. Because, uh, so he was a World War One aviator, 80 film credits as a director, also known for A Star is Born from 37, uh, The Legion of the Condemned from 28, and The Oxbow Incident from 1942, among a shit ton of other films. I think The Oxbow Incident is already on our list, but uh, we'll get there. Okay, cool. Uh, but he has, uh, apparently he was one of these, he's kind of like the Sam Peckinpah of his era, uh, from yeah. what I can gather. Like just a a tough guy director who although you know, although you know probably even more Peck and Paw than Peck and Paw was this like this hard drinking abusive director who uh, would like actively just insult and browbeat his actors apparently a big personality in Hollywood one of the most unliked men in Hollywood apparently <laughs> in his era but also incredibly well respected too. Uh, because he was in a he, his intention to detail apparently in his films was like second to none. So, uh, well, and that comes across in this film, which you know we will get to very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uncredited direction here from uh, Harry de Abadi de Arast. I'm probably just totally fucking that up, but <laughs> another World War One veteran uh, fought in the French army. He got into Hollywood after being wounded in battle. And uh, a director that he knew in Hollywood um, basically got him work as a researcher and technical advisor on several films, and then he went on to direct a few films himself. And so he, I, I don't know what he did in this, but uh, I assume it's you know World War One technical credits and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. uh, you know, this is written by John Monk Sanders, who wrote uh, several films in this genre, and also his other claim to fame is that he was uh, married to Faye Ray for a while. And had a mm-hmm. uh, had a child with her, so but they had sex at least once. So yeah, you went in life, ultimately. You know, like yeah, you're right up there of King Kong. Uh, briefly married to Fay Ray. I'd put that on my tombstone. Sure, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a trend you'll see here, whether you've like either served in World War One, or all of your writing credits and all your directing credits are almost exclusively about World War One fi- fighter pilots. There's a lot of that in this film. And and oh, yeah. that's and John Monk Sanders. He's also a novelist, uh, but yeah, his a lot of the stuff he was on for as far as movies go were fighter pilots, World War One. Also, was hope, that after this film? I would assume. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. did a he did a couple after this film as well. And uh, other writers: uh, Hope Loring, Louis D. Lighton, Julian Johnson, and this story was based uh, originally from someone called uh, Byron Morgan, who was uncredited. So, going into the cast here, we have Clara Bow as Mary Preston, and she's one of, maybe not so much now, but for a while, one of the, like, the forgotten sex symbols of the sort of early silent transition into talkie era kind of thing. I have so much to say about Clara Bow. Um, I think we have a lot to say about her. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was she was literally like the it girl, like the original mm-hmm. it girl. She was she was considered the it girl at the time. Every it girl since then has been taking that title from Clara Blow. Clara Clara Blow. That's what. Yeah. Blow. Clara Blow. Yeah. You you sound like one of the fucking uh, 
one of one of the dirt rags from back in the time who was the constantly trying to drum up uh, scandals about her, you know. Like, well, and, and that's the thing. Like she had a ton of scandals uh, around. I mean, we're going to get into this talking about the content of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is 1927. This is the Roaring Twenties. This is like everything is everything's kind of going great. Unless you're not white, right? <laughs> you know? um, the world, you know, the stock market is at a high. Uh, you know, there's there's like kind of loosening sexual mores. There's loosening like all kinds of things. Uh, Clara Bow, it's not like like officially confirmed, but it's you know, she was the kind of actress who was like dancing on tables and like having sex with like anyone she wanted, regardless mm. of gender, sort of thing. It's hard to kind of call her bisexual just because, you know, you don't want to, like, identify that label with someone who wouldn't have, you know, put it on themselves sort of thing. Right. But, and also, like, we don't have, like, official confirmation. It's all kind of, like, rumors. But, like, it's pretty clear. She had a lot of sex with a lot of people, probably included women. And she had a lot of fun doing it. And she was known as a tomboy Right. And she had this kind of like interesting look, and she was twenty years old when she made this movie, and she's phenomenal. Um, you know, she was literally the top star in Hollywood at the time that they made this movie, mm-hmm. and she gets shunted off to the side for like you know square jawed like white oh, dudes yeah. who are much less interesting than she is, but they get to fly planes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We'll get into this, uh, Clara Bow. We will. Absolutely, do some more Clara Bow. Um, mm-hmm. We're done with this anyway. And I'll, and also should mention, um, uh, I, I talked to the Pearls of Pauline about how, uh, like, I had this thought: oh, there's this silent movie actress who was like the inspiration for like a Sierra video game, point and clip video game. Mm-hmm. It's actually her that I was thinking of. Uh, they're they're actually the Laura Bow. Uh, there was two games made by Sierra in, the, in 1989, 1992. And it's totally modeled after her, um, and it's set in the period that she she lived in. So uh, right, that's, that's what I mean, of. Clara Bow was kind of the name of silent film actress. Clara, well, Bo- she was Clara Bow is what she, everybody she, knows. You know. She was the model for Betty Boop. Yeah. Absolutely. So I mean that that right there, a big claim to fame, and also just an actress who made a successful transition from silent to talkies. So uh, she did, although she didn't, uh, she wasn't in it for all that long. After no, she got married. Era. She got married and uh, no, yeah, yeah, had a not that long a life, but had a life anyway. We'll, 60 we'll years that. that's pretty good, <laughs> pretty good for the era. I it guess. is, I, I mean, I don't know, like it's kind of weird. Like she lived to 60 and she was a woman who was an actress, like so many of them, like, like oh yeah, she uh, made her last film at 27 and then died at 34. It's well, like, I mean, you know, yeah. that that's a that's a good transition to our next uh, person, Charles Buddy Rogers as Jack Powell, uh, yeah. known as America's boyfriend. Apparently, apparently that was like a a, a title he had. Uh, he actually lived till ninety four up up until nineteen ninety nine, age ninety four. He lived to well, um, well, good for him. Yeah, lived a long time. Uh, Richard Arlen is David Armstrong. Uh, I hope we got to sleep with Clara Bow during that time. I think <laughs> a lot of people on this cast sleep slept with Clara Bow. There's a, this is probably in your trivia, but like apparently they stayed in a hotel making this film <laughs> for many months, and apparently all the female elevator all uh, operators were pregnant by the end of the shoot. So <laughs> there was a lot of uh, there was a whole lot of fucking going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. 
Richard Arlen as David Armstrong, uh, Jabnya Ralston as uh, Sylvia Lewis, L. Brindle as Herman Schwimpf. Schwimpf. Schimpf. Uh, we're we're going to have to talk about this character. Uh, Richard Tucker is Air Commander. Gary Cooper, uh, I believe this is actually his first role, if I'm not it mistaken. Is, it is his first role, yeah. yeah. I did not recognize him until I uh, Googled it after I watched the movie. Yeah, same here. I was like looking like, for him. Like you're not like, kind of plugged into like, finding Gary Cooper in movies from 1927. Mm-hmm. From a movie from And he, honestly, he doesn't even look like Gary Cooper in this when film. you see him, you kind of go, bro, yeah, that's Gary. But we're used to him from later. Hitchcock's from, era. Yeah, we're is, used to him yeah. from after he put a little lines on his face. You know? Yeah. Uh, Gunboat Smith. There's a name for you. Gunboat Smith as the sergeant. So he's kind of like the uh, R.E. Emery of, of this generation, apparently. You know, like, yeah. kind of same idea. Uh, Henry B. Walthall as da- uh, David's father. Roscoe Carnes as Lieutenant Cameron, Julia Swain Gordon as David's mother, and Arlette uh, Marshall as Celeste. And we have a synopsis here from someone called Grants. I think we've had one of his synopsis before. Grants SS. I, everyone on IMDb has been featured on this uh, at one point or another. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome, IMDb users. Or by the way. or or every uh, YouTube commenter will eventually be. Uh, mm-hmm. Assuming uh, we do this for a million years. Anyway. <laughs> feels like a million years already. Um, <laughs> Only because of the YouTube comments, because they're terrible. <laughs> uh, so it says, Two young men from the same town but different social classes end up as fighter pilots in World War One. Jack Preston is a keen auto mechanic, building and modifying cars. David Armstrong comes from a wealthy family. They're both in love with the same woman, Sylvia. Her heart belongs to David, but she doesn't let Jack know and plays along with his inf- infatuation. Friend zone. Um, it doesn't say that in it. Uh, this is such a complicated... But yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll get into it. Meanwhile, Jack's neighbor, Mary, is deeply in love, love with him, but he just views her as a friend. World War One interrupts the romantic entanglements as Jack and David enlist in the U.S. Army Service. Uh, Air Service of the AEF at the time. They are initially bitter enemies due to them both vying for Sylvia's affections. Over time, however, they become very good friends. They are both posted to the same fighter squadron in France, where being a fighter pilot means every day could easily be your last. And yeah, that's kind of a good sort of initial synopsis of this, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's a it lot. Isn't, it isn't. Like, I mean, like, uh, yeah, no, complicated. Yeah, but uh, so Daniel, let's just go into it. What, what's your sort of uh, general thoughts on this one? Let's go big picture on this. This movie was made in 1927 uh, mm-hmm. about uh, America's entry into World War One in 1917, and so and that's that's a. I think people um, forget to some degree that the U.S. was only in World War One for a year. Yeah, like kind of after the you know kind of the years of trench warfare and then americans came in and sort of the fresh-faced doughboys who were going to kind of come in and like kick the kaiser's ass or whatever you know mm-hmm. and, like not to say that there weren't atrocities and not to say that people didn't have like horrifying experiences or whatever but uh, uh americans we you know got to be uh you know kind of the, the the good guys but also only kind of coming in for a short period and didn't see kind of the worst of that 
war, you know. Yeah. Um, also, uh, alongside the kind of the technology, I mean, this is all about like uh, you know, kind of the fighter planes, which ultimately are a very minor part of the reality of World War One, but a large part of the kind of propaganda around World War One, like that's you know, on on both sides. To be fair, you know, not to mm-hmm. you know, not to pretend that you know only the Allies kind of did that. And I say that all this preamble is like, you know, this is a huge movie. This is like $2 million were spent making this movie. Yeah. They spent nine months making it. Like when most movies were made in like a month. This is a huge budget. This is a huge blockbuster picture. The director had to fight to kind of do the thing to kind of get this made. They spent two months just kind of like with no usable footage, just like experimenting on like ways of shooting these night planes, you know? Yeah. They got a ton of resources from... Uh, the U.S. military and from various kind of organizations with uh, with this access, and the reason I bring all that up is because like the best thing that you can compare this to is something like a Marvel movie, which mm-hmm. you know is funded by uh, you know or at least kind of gets tax credits and gets assistance from and gets kind of approval from um, the U.S. military and you know is designed to tell the story of the kind of happy version of the U.S. military. Yeah, um, that's not to say it's bad. Uh, this is a very, very good movie. I think there's mm-hmm. some really interesting stuff going on here. I think there's a really interesting narrative. But ultimately, like, look, the plot of this is love triangle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, two, three people who uh, kind of have, like, kind of differentiating uh, kind of emotional responses to one another. Uh, two of them go off to, well, actually, all three of them go off to war. One of them um, ends up leaving the war because they showed a nipple guess what the gender of that one is and then uh and then uh you know one of them dies and then the other two go off and live happily ever after sort of thing um alongside like uh kind of daredevil uh, air fight sequences uh in which uh war is uh, perceived not as uh this kind of horrifying imperialist land grab for uh destructive war but as a kind of a, a battle among gentlemen uh, to a certain yeah. degree, right? You know, like there's a chivalry involved in this, and so like this is bullshit. This is this is full on mm-hmm. bullshit. It wins the very first uh, best picture at the at the Oscars um, because it is extraordinarily well made. Like this is, I keep kind of saying this of like, oh, you could show this to a modern viewer. It's kind of I don't know. I have uh, complicated feels about it because it's restored and suddenly. Like Skywalker sound added, like sound effects. To you this. watch that version as well, eh? I watch that version as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and suddenly, like, oh yes, no, this now feels like a kind of a modern movie. I found a blog post with someone sort of like talking about the experience, like a silent film expert who was kind of used to who had seen the film many times and uh, without before the restoration, and then kind of saw the restoration was like, yeah, this feels like it's not really a silent movie anymore, and it kind of feels yeah. like alien, you know. But also, like, it's very easy to watch this and see it as, um, again, a, a modern movie, a modern kind of, like, big-budget action oscar baity kind of movie. And there's a lot of, like, complicated shit going on there in terms of in terms of your reaction to it. Should you see this? You should absolutely see this. It is mm-hmm. really, really good. At the same time, it's kind of a mawkish, romantic, you know, you know love story, mm-hmm. three-person love story alongside you know a whitewashed uh, <laughs> you know war story um but it's made extraordinarily well you know is involving in every moment also 
has some uh some great like kind of sexy stuff uh, you yeah. know and some great uh i mean uh, there's a there's a male to male kiss in this you know which again it's the roaring 20s this was there was a liberalization of, of attitudes this is pre-code and people were starting to kind of open up um and uh in 1929 all this is going to get crushed yeah so, uh, no. we've got we've got another like year or two to to enjoy this before everything 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 ends but yeah sorry i've been kind of babbling a bit but uh that's 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 my overall thoughts yeah, so full disclosure, I got about an hour into this and I turned the sound off. Um, oh yeah, and then this is just the restored version. So uh, you know, if you if you find like some pieced together version, like there's, I, I basically rented the version on YouTube. That's the restored version. That's that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also I think someone's got it in like 15 parts or some shit like that. On I YouTube. never want to do that. It's yeah, not the best experience. Um, uh, so just just regarding uh, copyright, because mm-hmm. 1926 is the uh, the dividing line of U.S. copyright. In 1927, they rewrote it. Um, this movie will become available, uh, uh, will hypothetically become available in uh, public domain in uh, 2022, I believe. Hmm. Um, although there's the version that we're watching is the restoration, which has a yeah. new copyright limit. And so it will be sometime in the uh, 22nd century before that becomes available in, in the copyright. Assuming Disney doesn't uh, keep extending it. Uh, <laughs> I can, um, yeah, I have feelings about copyright anyway. Um, everything that we've done in the silent film series has been like literally in the public domain. So it's just easily available mm-hmm. legally. Um, this was not, I could no. not find a free version of this. Um, and, uh, that's vile and disgusting. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, that's the version we watched. So, yeah. So I liked a lot of this. Um, I do have mixed feelings on it. I feel like as much as I love, uh, Clara Bow. And as much as I love the actors in this, the whole love story thing is just, it kind of almost sinks this film. Uh, because deep down, there's this is a technical masterpiece. The, the dog fights and stuff in this are fucking immaculately done. Like, they just look they, great. They look, they look great even now. Like, again, mm-hmm. without, without qualification, you could show these dog fight sequences to someone and it's like, oh yeah, that looks amazing. And I think the World War One just like on the ground sequences, mm-hmm. I think they're kind of the nineteen twenty seven equivalent of the uh, Omaha Beach sequence uh, in Saving Private mm-hmm. Ryan. Like yeah. it's very much that visceral. Like they couldn't show as much gore. There's definitely moments where you see blood in this film, like pilots getting shot and spitting up blood. You know, spitting up chocolate syrup. Much or... more so. Much more so mm-hmm. than like I was expecting. Honestly, yeah. You know, like it's. And and that's kind of like uh, one of the one of the things that like um, where it does feel more modern, where you kind of expect everything to be bowdlerized. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this film, I mean, it is, but also like it's very, it's much more modern in terms of the way it treats that than you know, silly expects you to be kind of coming in in the first time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think my biggest problem with this film though is not even necessarily a love story because I mean that could be handled. In certain ways, especially for a film this long, it, it feels like you had time to like make this work better. Yep. But there's all this broad comedic stuff in this. 
that the movie just stops dead for it like does 20 minutes it, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it it just does not get the pacing of like the comedic beats balanced with the dramatic beats at all you, you mean a dude gets drunk and he starts envisioning bubbles everywhere for right. 20 minutes didn't um sell you on the reality of world war one no yeah yeah um where how that happens and I also got to say, like, Charles Rogers is Jack Powell. Um, he's supposed to be the lead in this film. I fucking hated this guy. I, I fucking, I hated him just from the get-go. Because the opening of this film is that broad com- sort of comedic thing mm-hmm. where he's trying to, you know, build this fucking car. And, mm-hmm. and, and Clara Bow's character is Mary Preston. She's just, like, smitten with this guy. She's a tomboy. She's in love with him. She wants to, you know, basically just bang him right there on his fucking car even though there's not a lot of space to fuck in that thing because it's a you know he takes the seat out too and that's just not gonna be comfortable so yeah yeah and this guy's a fucking idiot he 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 does not like he's so distracted by this piece of shit car that he doesn't get that one of the hottest women in the world wants to fuck him like like like, i mean in 1927 this is literally like angelina jolie is mm -hmm. leering at me maybe that's not the gear shaft she wants to be touching right now. Exactly. You know? And I just, I fucking hated this. I, I was like, okay, so what is this movie called? Is it called Wings or is it called How Long Will Clara Bow Fucking Tolerate This Asshole? And it, I unfortunately... I really to go off with the, uh, the girl in the leather dress. Yes! Get, like, that's where you want this to go. Like, can we leave these... Like dunderhead uh, douchebag guys. You're you're in France with all these French whores. Fucking shack up one of them for fuck's sakes. Yeah. Like, uh, I was watching this and I was like, unfortunately, at the end of this film, spoilers, she invent she eventually hooks up with this asshole after you know his gay love interest dies, and yeah, he. F- I... It's like the the message this movie throws is just so so like the the narrative is like. And this is where, like, you know, I've been kind of praising it. I agree with you completely. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been praising it in terms of it's like, oh, yeah, like, it's technically very impressive. There's a lot of kind of good stuff in it. Uh, narratively, this film doesn't work at all. No. Yeah. It's got a lot of, like, interesting themes, but these are ultimately kind of, like, it is very much, uh, the movie that I kept thinking about watching it was Titanic, right? Mm-hmm. Which, again, in 1997 is... Uh, famously delayed the same way this film was yeah. had um uh, was the biggest budgeted movie of all time at the time ended up becoming the top grossing movie of all time at that time and won best picture uh etc etc um <laughs> you know has uh you know kate winslet uh shows her boobs as uh, mm-hmm. clara bow very briefly does in this yeah. film you know and uh a bunch of um like do you remember the Name the 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 actor who played the main antagonist in Titanic Lee. Uh, it, it's it's uh, so Billy, Z- Billy Zane. It is Billy Zane. Okay, yeah. so you do remember. Um, you know, but but yeah, no, it's it's very you know much kind of that and kind of a very similar you know, not really kind of the the plot, but a sort of basic narrative of like okay, there's this sort of like boy next door. Yeah, your like real love interest. And then there's like the rich asshole. But the rich who, guy in here isn't the asshole. <laughs> well, n- neither of these guys has like a real personality, as far as I'm concerned. The, 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 I, I I like the rich guy better than I liked fucking Jack. Fair, fair, you know, 
Because at least he's, you know, okay, here's the thing. Yeah, he's a rich and titled guy, you're, but he actually wants to go to war. Trader. You're a class trader, is what. I guess so, because yeah, yeah. this guy actually, unlike like Donald Trump or some fucking motherfucker, he actually wanted to go to war and fight. So and and he's, oh, I, and he's a, I do not see that as a universal positive. Uh, I, to, to be fair, I mean for for his class, you know, he didn't he didn't take like oh I I got a bone broken in my foot and I can't fight yeah, kind of yeah. you know excuse. Yeah, let's whatever. fight the Kaiser. You know, um, you know, I I mean you know there there's problems with that, but still it's like compared to most rich guys, he's not the asshole that right, most sure, of these yeah, people sure. are compared to, right? And I mean he's. He's level-headed. He knows what's going on. You know, Sylvia or whatever, she loves me. She's just being nice to Jack, you know, to, you know, let him down easily or whatever kind of thing. Jack, he's this delusional fucking asshole who can't see Clara Bow brand brandishing her vagina right in front of him. <laughs> and it's like, hey, have you have you seen my clip? Don't you think this needs uh, a tuna? Would you, would you like to taste this? Yeah. Uh, would you, would you, like, I feel like maybe there might be something wrong with the taste. I would I really appreciate you um, it, it, telling how, me if it, how it tastes. How does it compare to all that French champagne you downed? <laughs> you know, like. You, you drink a lot of French champagne. You get like cartoon bubbles through, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 20 minutes in this movie. And it's really weird. It's really, so, so, I mean, we should. We're all over the place, uh, you know. There's some kind of weird special effects from, mm-hmm. from a modern perspective, where um, you know you do have like biplanes kind of going down and all that sort of thing, and they put like little cartoon like flames out of them so that you right. can see which plane you're supposed to be kind of looking at. It's kind of a visual indicator. And um, actually, I kind of get it. Like, in, in audiences in 1927 yeah. would probably not see that as quite as artificial as we see it now in the sense of like well was that was that actually indicator you know? was that actually color lot co- colorized back then like do, do you know that to be a fact? i don't know one way or the other i would um i was kind of assuming because they would colorize little bits right. you know kind of at the time i don't think they sort of like did like a digital colorization in 2012 or whatever because um because i was wondering man because they they do like all that new foley work and shit for everything, right? Yeah. And then then well, like we should talk. I mean, we sh- we should probably get into that because that's something I've been you know like talking about a bit. Yeah, like I mean, they they do the foley work. They do. I mean, I'm I was assuming the colorization was new. I was assuming like, and and it's only for like the planes going down and you see color well, when they're shooting the machine guns. So fake looking yeah in the sense of like uh, uh this film was lost until 1992 right um and then like rediscovered um and then like restored like 20 years later for the i think like the 75th anniversary or something you know mm-hmm. um, so so there is a sense of um we don't really know exactly what it would have looked like at the time um, I would love to sort of see a kind of version based on an original print, even if it looks like shit, just to kind of see what still exists. Um, I think it's, you know, the version that you and I watched was, was the kind of restored version that mm-hmm. they kind of put like a big fancy Blu-ray out and kind of said, Oh, the best, the, the first, uh, best picture Oscar winner or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, 
you know, I, I don't know. I was kind of assuming that that was uh, kind of colored because they would, you know, have been able to do that at the time, you know, with just sort of hand painting cells. And it is, it does look crude enough that it kind of struck me as probably at the time. I mean, at the very least, I mean, if it's in the film as, as it exists, it would have been, there would have been some kind of other indicator, even if it wasn't um, right. polarized. It might have been you know, kind of drawn in, you know, so that to, to draw the audiences. I, I wanted to, it, you know. yeah, I wanted to check on that. I didn't get to that. Like I, the big thing I checked on was like, are those bubbles new? Like, because I thought, wow, that that's weird. Right. Like, was that something added? And no, the bubbles are actually in like, yeah, you know, and the if original the bubbles, version. And if the bubbles are uh, original, um, I, I would imagine the, the the flames are as well because it's mm. it's the same basic kind of process. Um, You're probably right. You, know, you have to you have to. One of the things that I think you and I are both kind of running into, or at least I, you know, I don't know, I, I won't speak for you, but one of the things that I'm running into is I really appreciate kind of doing this the way we're doing it and kind of starting from the beginning and then kind of watching as sort of the technology and the art develops as mm -hmm. we sort of like move forward to the you know through the silent era and we're you know 1947 is the end like you know the talkies kind of show up we're going to do some more silent films but this is this is that like fulcrum moment ultimately like this is the peak this is peak silent ultimately right? yeah and there is this kind of like sense of like yeah the art of film has developed to the point to where like yeah we can we can do this and we can we can kind of draw this stuff in and we can um have this kind of technology but also it's cut like a modern film it is not a modern film but it, the editing techniques are there everything is there for what we expect a modern film to be and i think that's that's really kind of interesting in the sense of thinking about uh, you know just how we sort of view cinema of this era because we watched a film you know a seven minute film made during world war one about World War One was sort of a similar kind of like narrative of this mm -hmm. film, but this kind of becomes sort of like the epic version that um, is looking back to that era and becomes kind of the romance about that, you know, sort, sort of thing. This is the airship destroyer on a big budget. It is. Yeah. I mean, it absolutely. I mean, this is that's what this is, you know. And I also find it interesting just to throw this in right now. Um, that we've, uh, you know, with like something like the Iron Horse and the Covered Wagon, you know, we're kind of talking about like, it's you know, looking back at the history of looking expansion into the West of like sort of American, like Manifest Destiny, looking yep. back on it, you know, sort of 50 years later. And here we're kind of like looking back 10 years and kind of looking at uh, the history, romanticizing uh, the, you know, <laughs> imperial warfare in uh, World War One uh, versus like the Swedish film we covered, which was like, yeah, a bunch of people tried to kill some witches, and that was <laughs> bad, you know. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, there there is a sense of like, you know, uh, we're we're looking at sort of like American films, and then like, oh, Swedish masterpiece, kind of going like, yeah, and then a bunch of people in the in medieval times that got tortured, and wouldn't it be nice if that had been the model that had been followed, yeah. by, by cinema, if, you know, like some of the biggest films. Imagine if, like, you know, Avengers Endgame was ultimately, like, some weirdo documentary about, you know, uh, the American prison system or something. <laughs> like, anyway, we are yeah. far afield. We should, we should get back to the, we should get back to the film. 
talking about the Dutch character in this, um, who's <laughs> with the with the with the, uh, the the tattoo. Yeah. So the the mm-hmm. interesting, like it, it's interesting. There there is as much as this is sort of a propaganda film, as much as this is about you know like sort of American exceptionalism and all that yeah, sort of yeah. shit. There is a little bit of streak of humanism in this film, I would say, Mm -hmm. that is actually criticizing war and the horrors of war. Because, I mean, the director was in World War I. He had this experience. Well, And and one of the actors. like A um, couple of the actors in this were... Several of the actors. um, One of the two leads, I can't remember which one it was, one of the two leads knew how to fly already. Yeah. Because he had flown in World War I. And the other one had to be taught. But they literally taught him how to fly. <laughs> and the director himself actually ended up flying at one point in this because uh, one of the other pilots broke his neck. Um, oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Well, that's fine. Yeah. yeah I, John Landis direct this? Is that how? <laughs> <laughs> this, this was not as bad as I think John Landis did. Because for all the people they had actually flying for those sequences, I think they only had like two accidents uh, as far as I yeah. know. So, but and there's a and, lot of there's a lot of crazy flight sequences. In this. Oh yeah, but anyway, back to racism against the Dutch here for a minute, yeah. which is, and, and this this is a thing. This is weird. This is a thing I've seen in not film but literature from yeah. like this period or like at least ten or twenty years beforehand. A lot of there was a lot of racism against the Dutch for some weird reason that I don't know. I I, I don't get it, but the. A lot of, like, the weird fiction and stuff I used to read that's from, like, the 1900s up to about this period. Yeah. They always talk about, like, the shifty Dutch or the dirty Dutch or, like, the... Well, let's let's peel back the curtains slightly. <laughs> okay. The Dutch were kind of seen as the financiers um, for oh. much of... Uh, Sort of modern European history. Would they have brackets around their names? I mean, it's not so much that like, oh, the Dutch are actually Jews as much as the Dutch are sort of like allied with the Jews. Ah, Um, okay. That explains some things. I'm no no expert on this, but uh, I suspect that uh, that's my guess. That's my Okay. Let's let's just leave it there. Let's just leave it there. Okay, but I mean, this film at least... um, it kind of has its heart in the right place well, he's a little bit. Van Raven's way with three parentheses, you know. <laughs> he just, he... Can you imagine if that was like what the alt right was doing now? Like they were doing like Dutch accents. Sorry, at <laughs> this moment. Ooh, uh, I'm I'm a tulip fucker because I'm Dutch. Look at me. Look at me. I'm Dutch. You know. Uh, but but it's interesting here. The, the 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 Dutch character in there's in this is comic relief in a film that already has people in the lead doing comic relief, which is right. a little weird. But every time he gets in an incident where people are like, "Fuck you, Dutchman!" Like we shouldn't even have you in this army with your last name being like slightly Germanic or whatever. He shows his arm and he's got the the American tattoo. Yeah. He's got it's this like, flat. I'm a patriot. I got this tattoo. I clearly can't be a spy. No. Because I spent fifty dollars on a tattoo, flag That's tattoo on his jiggling, yeah, on his unmanly jiggling, arm, manly arm. But he's and, a patriot, God, God damn it! But here's well, the thing. in 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 1927 to be to be like this is a resurgence of the Klan era, like to, to yeah. be clear, you know, 
this is kind of progressive, <laughs> you know. Well, like this is kind of like you can all be American so long as you're willing to die for your country in war. Like, well, I've, 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 I felt like that was kind of the message here. Like that's that's absolutely the message. Yeah, like that's not like that's not kind. Of, that's 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 the point of that character is you know well, he shows up. He's kind of funny. He's kind of goofy. The other uh, uh, recruits don't necessarily trust him, and he's like, "No, I am patriotic American. Look at my tattoo." And they're like, "You sir, are one of us. Let's all go die in the Imperial War Machine." Let's do it. Tucker Carlson would love you. Um, no, but Sean uh, Hannity would love you even more. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I felt like he was also a red herring to distract from how openly gay our two leads are. <laughs> well, you know, we should we should definitely talk about that. Yeah, they are. I mean, in in the context of the 1920s, like want, a man. I want to ki- be clear: this podcast in no way uh, has a problem with uh, no, men. no. Like that is not a criticism of the film. That's actually like one of the great things about the film. But yeah, they are hella into each other. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, yeah, uh, the Daniel's disclaimer is right there. But if you've been if you've been listening for a I while, you, you already know. Like, I can't imagine. I can't imagine anyone who's listened to more than like ten minutes of this. Even like, I was just assuming somebody like clicked on this episode and then clicked on to exactly that moment. And you were like, well, they're kind of hella gay. <laughs> like, you know, that was the only reason I felt the need to, like, clarify that. You know, uh-huh. like, we are perfectly in line with, like, these characters being gay. They are very, very... I ship these two characters. The one thing I like about these characters is that they clearly want to fuck. That's... You know. Well, I mean, that's the only conclusion I can come to, because our lead, Jack, does not want to fuck Clara Bow. You're you're obviously into the other dude who just happens to be in this relationship with Sylvia, and yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and and there there is a like I've I've kind of read stuff kind of back. I I, I could kind of go and like find it, but I, I I've read stuff where it's talking about sort of the gay experience, uh, you know, the experience of of gay men who or of just of of men of men of uh, kind of varying uh, sexualities who uh, found themselves in the trenches and found themselves kind of relying on another man and found themselves like that's your only emotional support and that's your only kind of physical support. And having experiences in those trenches, which uh, were not something you're allowed to talk about, and then coming back from war, both with sort of the PTSD of probably the most horrifying war experience that anyone can imagine, trench warfare and World War right. But also this kind of emotional experience of being with someone and, and kind of having having that kind of emotional response. And you can't imagine the complexity of that. And I do think that there is a great deal, as much as I've been kind of making fun of this movie, and as much as I've been kind of like kind of kind of laughing at the sort mm-hmm. of the romance and laughing at some of the you know and, and you know, calling out uh, its sort of propagandist nature, I do think that there's a reality to the way that it treats these this this relationship that is radical you know at, at its time i'm pretty and, sure and, the yeah. director is aware like i'm pretty sure he no, was no, like no. yeah well and again and and it is like you know in 2020 we uh you know think oh this all had to be i i don't even know that this is really even encoded in 1927 
I think there is a sense in which they are just kind of like they can't literally like show them sucking each other's dicks, obviously, <laughs> you know. But I do think there's a you know, yeah, like there's a camaraderie that yep. these two men find with one another. They're both from this, they, they want to serve together, they do serve together, they um have this kind of emotional relationship, and like the end sequence where uh, the guy dies. And you know the the rich guy dies, and the the, mm-hmm. the working class guy you know comforts him. There is no like kind of hiding. They're stroking each other's hair. Yep, like he's cradling him in his arms. <laughs> you know, this isn't this, this isn't this John is not... Wayne like telling some dying soldier, "You're going to be all right, soldier." Like right. this is well, and this isn't like you know. There's so much of the sort of like queer baby stuff that we even see today, where it's like mm-hmm. a half second of two characters are holding hands and therefore you get to like, Oh, we got queer representation in this movie. This is pretty overt. And I think that the audiences in 1927 would have kind of understood it to be that way. Even if they couldn't talk about it in the way that we can talk about it now, I think there is a reality to that. And I think that there was an acceptance to that, which ultimately got crushed when, uh, you know, economic things happened and like yeah the world devolved into fascism and like everything got burned to the ground uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which we're gonna cover over the next few months and it's gonna be great anyway yeah um, yeah. yeah it's all through this film They're, they are presented together any description of this movie is like oh there's this conflict between these two guys over this girl that's the first 20 minutes of the film after that they're friends like and and they're very close friends. Like they have a fist fight in, in a boxing match, and as soon as you know he the uh, the poor guy knocks the rich guy down, but the rich guy won't quit. Then you know the poor guy's like, oh you you know you're you're a fucking I, I can't remember the fucking line, but it's like something about like how how you're so fucking you you won't quit, and then he starts like rubbing the blood off the dude's face. It's yeah. like. Yeah, no, they're into each other. It's like it's 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 pretty explicit, even if they don't know it, you know, right away. Well, and there there is a sort of sense in which this kind of discovery of uh, the kind of forbidden relationship is often kind of coded within this. There is a context in which it's okay, like I have defeated you in combat, and now uh, you know I can. It is acceptable for me to, as a man, to yeah. rub. Uh, to to caress your face, but only to like wipe the blood away, right. and no one will judge me for that. And like, <laughs> all of this is completely original to us. Like, no one clearly has discussed the context <laughs> in this uh, film from nineteen eighty seven, which is uh, incredibly famous and which won the first best picture Oscar. Like, no one, no one has ever like discussed these issues before. This is this no, no, no. That's definitely an interpretation of the film, but you can also just if you just want to like lean into the idea of and and here's here's where the the movie could have made this a bit more ambiguous i i guess uh i think it's pretty explicit actually in the film yeah. um but if you, if you made these two co-pilots in the plane i think it actually makes it a bit more acceptable for some people who don't want to like you know go into the homosexual relationship they can they can go into the sort of vein of, you know, you you depend on this guy like it's like the sniper and the spotter kind of idea yeah. where you you depend on the guy because you're gonna die otherwise you know like, 
kind of thing. But these two are they're always flying separate planes, and I, honestly, the, and also that becomes like the central conceit of why one of them dies eventually. Uh, you know, there's there's so much good things in this film, and then it's overshadowed by this fucking bullshit fucking love triangle that I, I, mean, I, I mean should we should we talk about like the aerial sequences for instance which are amazing they're fucking like, it's, hard to, it's hard to even talk about it honestly compare this to like top gun compare this to oh this like, is way better than top gun this is way, i mean you know like people go like top gun yeah i grew up on that movie no no, no, no this is better like this is legitimately Top better. Gun's just a sexed up even... version of this kind of thing, but well, a sexed uh, lateral. Well, di- well, may- straight sexed up version of this thing. But I mean, <laughs> although I'm sure, I'm sure, fucking Tom I'm, Cruise wanted to fuck Val Kilmer, but you I know am what? Very sure that Clara Bow fucked everyone on this cast. That's my. I do not mean that in a negative way. <laughs> Again, if you've never listened to this podcast before. <laughs> we're we're up for that. Like yeah. we're 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 cool with that shit. Cary Grant and Clara Bow actually had a pretty well documented affair during yeah, this yeah, film. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, she was banging, she was banging extras. She would she was bearing this no name Cary Grant, <laughs> <laughs> who would go on to be like a complete nobody within the film mm-hmm. industry, right? No, there there's a there's a particular shot. I love this sequence. Um, it's at the beginning of kind of the bubbles uh, sequence, which mm-hmm. is in service of this kind of romantic subplot that right. you know, we're both kind of shrugging our shoulders and going like, "What are we doing in this?" But I think there's a there's some really good stuff here and some really good kind of class based stuff here because like, you know, our, our kind of working class hero is, um, you know, he is this kind of working class guy. He kind of comes out, he builds a hot rod, he goes into the military. And uh, he wins a medal, and then he gets to go and uh, you know get a get a day off. He gets to go and get go on some leave. Yeah. And um, he's in France, and what does he do? He goes to you know <laughs> what soldiers in this kind of moment always do is like, well, I've got a whole bunch of like saved money because they're paying me, and I have no one to support. Yeah. And also, uh, they pay all my like kind of room and board because I'm a soldier. And so I've got like a whole bunch of money, and I'm just gonna go blow it in uh, on some prostitutes and some good booze mm-hmm. because I could die tomorrow. And um, you know what? I 100% support that. Like I have yeah. no uh, complaints about that. And so you go from this like really kind of dusty, kind of dirty experience of kind of hanging out within this kind of heroic world, quote unquote, of like kind of flying planes and you know killing Germans or whatever. And then, uh, you know, you're in this environment of super wealthy people. And you get this, like, brilliant shot through, like, this kind of, like, set of tables of, you know, people kind of, like, spatting and kind of having, like, love story and kind of all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you get to um, our hero who's just getting wasted because he's, you know, I got to fly a plane tomorrow. I might die, but I might as well kind of hang out. And he's got, you know, kind of, the girl on his hip, he's got the kind of thing. But in the process of kind of walking into that establishment, you get a shot of, you know, uh, you know, dude in a kilt and a woman in like a vinyl dress or a leather dress. And it's just like focused on their asses. Yeah. They both kind of bend down together and then they stand <laughs> up. And I'm kind of like, and then you see her again in a couple of the shots. And I'm like, I'm like Googling, you know, wings 1927 leather dress woman yeah. 
I, I couldn't find it before. But I'm totally like, who is this? Like, I'm always fascinated by like that story of who is this mm-hmm. person in the in these movies, and this is something that I kind of come back to over and over again. But you kind of run into this, and then Clara Bow, who has uh, kind of taken a position as a medic in the war, is kind of there as well. And there's a confusion about like, oh, there's an order you have to come back. You don't get yeah. to just kind of hang out and get drunk. And then you know there's there's a lot of kind of plot nonsense that happens in this, you know, which. Again, just kind of feels like it's kind of padding out the plot, but it does give us some more time with these two characters. Um, but ultimately, I do kind of love just kind of watching him get drunk and kind of watching him kind of have that experience. Apparently, he really got drunk on the set. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, no. Um, because, you know, it's it's very much that kind of that, that abandon, that experience of kind of mm-hmm. being in that moment. I mean, and again, I hate to kind of keep harping on this. A lot of what's going on here is people documenting their experiences that were only 10 years old at this point you know yeah so this isn't a sort of i mean it is fiction but it's in some ways it's not it's it's yeah. built around we're documenting what really happened to us in this kind of like romanticized way yeah but but there is a there is a kind of reality to that the, an emotional reality that i think um kind of comes across even through all the kind of nonsense yeah, no, I agree. Like I said, I, I I do have problems with this, but at the same time, it's it's a technical masterpiece. Even from like the early beginning with the camera on the swing, yeah, like with the rich guy and Sylvia on the, on the swing, and the camera's like fixed there, and then you get to the cameras on the fucking planes. Oh it's god! Like, oh my god! <laughs> Which is a shot that I mean, and and again, like it's hard to describe the experience to people who are not kind of doing what you and I are doing, which is mm-hmm. watching this from watching film from the beginning and sort of like kind of kind of dipping into it and kind of. But there is a very visceral reality to those shots, yep. which was unimaginable like i believe this is the very first film that actually shows like people flying planes being filmed like this is the first time anyone filmed anyone flying planes Mm. i mean this is shot in 1927 (laughs) the airplane was invented 24 years ago i mean uh, there there is is there not footage of the wright brothers like flying their plane I don't think there's footage. No, I think it's just. Oh, photos. okay. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, no, I read somewhere in the like when I was doing kind of cursory googling. This is the. It may be the first commercial film made about right, this. Like maybe right. there's footage. I mean, there's definitely sort of footage of. Uh, sorry, I think the it's the first sort of mainstream picture of like the first time that like it, you put an actor in a plane and like have right them fly. okay. Because so, I, th- I, yeah, I think there is footage of like planes before this, and there's definitely footage yeah. of people like trying to launch planes or trying to like fly planes or whatever. But and, the, and if, I, if like, I'm put somebody in a character and have them you know fly right, basically. and if I'm not mistaken, I think there is like some actual World War One stock footage in this. If, probably, probably, yeah. yeah. Some of it looks like it might be. If not, kudos to them because the fucking World War One. Just like the the epic scope of some of the battles here, wow! Like, <laughs> I mean, some of these shots had like thirty five hundred extras or something. Yeah, like, and uh, apparently the director um, got the sort of like. <laughs> this sounds like a very basic idea, right? 
you know, um, yeah. you can't tell how fast a plane is going or what, it, you know, without having like a background. And so the director only wanted to film on sort of days in which there were clouds in the sky. And like, we kind of point mm-hmm. the can- like would make the kind of planes kind of go and then would like film that. And so there were like 18 days would go where like, well, we're waiting on you to tell us to fly so we can shoot. And then, uh, no, 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 we can't do that because, uh, you know, we, you know, it's not going to be effective, et cetera, uh, you know. And then, um, you know, but it looks amazing. Um, apparently, there's some, like, verite element because in some of the battle scenes, like the ground level battle scenes, the director was, like, handing out, like, cameras to as many of, like, 20 other people and telling them to film everything you can. You hmm. And then kind of using the footage, um, you know, kind of in the final film. I don't know how much of that was used. There is this sense of like they're almost kind of it's both this like very extreme, um, you know, almost expressionistic thing of like we're going to wait until the clouds are in like a particular place in the sky so that we can film you flying across them Um, alongside a kind of verite element of like you are here. This is very much kind of in a in a, in a, uh, you know, a reality of the moment. And I think that that's sort of the. I think that's what makes the sort of those sort of sequences so powerful, you know, is that um, it's both sort of uh, reality and metaphor at the same time. Yeah, I agree. This I is don't... my favorite kind of podcast, really. Just uh, nods because, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, no, it's like it's nothing I can add to that. Like it's just, yeah, you're you're right. Lee tells me I'm a genius. Um, this is yeah. I didn't every say episode, that. every episode should be this. Yeah. I didn't say you were a genius. I just said yeah. you were right. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you, you you picked up the base layman interpretation of this film. Congratulations. Yeah, well, you know, this film is good. No one else ever uh, realized this that. film good. Although, although uh, I don't, I think you and I are both kind of on the level of like it's not going to be on our best of the year. Like I don't, I don't see this. I could, know. I could see it, maybe cutting into honorable mentions but there's too but, many problems it, with it's it. very good but yeah. it's definitely not nearly what we've already watched from this era no know? and um, honestly a lot of my disappointment is actually from how like clara bow is so good in this but at the same time like her character is just so abused and i'm well, like and it's apparently, so terrible apparently I mean, she was like the posters and the kind of the advertisements. Yeah. Very much like Clara Bow's new movie, right? And she's in like twenty percent of the movie, and then you got these two like you know, uh, you know, uh, large pants, thunder huge or whatever, you know, kind of, <laughs> you know square jawed dudes, as your heroes here. You Lance know? uppercut. <laughs> Lance uppercut. <laughs> it's like yeah, Clara Bow. Look, get her next film where she's a. She plays a character who's a total dumbass who should have dumped this guy in the first five minutes and fucked the yeah. first chick she found. Yeah, but but apparently, but apparently, like they offered it to her and she took it, or like she was under contract or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like her part was expanded. Like the version we're watching now is where her part was expanded <laughs> because they wanted to get her into the movie. Oh like, god, I I do kind of think that like the extended drunken sequence, which does have. Clara Bow nude sequence, which is great, you know, just yeah, no, uh, not complaining and not complaining at all. She's sexy um, as hell. She is. She was. She started out when she was sixteen, and she was seen as a tomboy, 
And uh, that was part of her appeal was like she was both kind of like sexy ingenue and kind of tomboy, which is oh, that's the appeal I got from this. I was like, shit, yeah, she's she's both sexy and she likes to fucking roll around in the mud. She's the she's the Harley Quinn of uh, nineteen twenty seven. Kind of, yeah. I I'm. I'm joking, but I'm not. Uh, no, you're not. <laughs> but no, I do kind of think that like the extended, and this is completely based on like just watching the film. I do kind of think that the extended drunken sequence and like the time that we spend there is meant to kind of give Clara Bow more to do and to kind of justify her inclusion in the movie. Well, yeah, her character um, just feels inserted there. Could, right? You could well not a you could cut that entire sequence. Yeah, you could cut everything like you could cut her out of this movie ultimately yep. oh you well yeah it, weren't it, gonna go it, on like a gay relationship or whatever you know no, between our two it, leads it, it could, could have totally been a love triangle be, it, well it could totally be there's a rich dude and a working class dude yep and they have like a competition like they play on a baseball field and they have like that's your kind of and they have a rivalry and then they both kind of go into the war and they shake hands and they become like friends together and like they build a bond over time. And then like, like you don't need like Claire, there's no reason that Clara Bow is in this movie plot wise. She's great. And she's the big star, you know? I mean, they don't even have to be rivals at the get go for that Sylvia chick. You could have gone different ways with this. You could have gone where they're friends going into the military. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, they're still from different classes, but they're friends. And then they meet like the French whore, and and they both fall in love with her. And then the classism comes out. It's like, well, she would never fuck you because you're, you know, you're. She this would never and that. fuck you because your dick, yeah, uh, is. From a trailer park. Exactly, mine, yeah. Drink champagne. I just stick my dick in the champagne and it just sucks it up like an elephant's trunk. And that's, that's, and that's why that's, she would that's, fuck me instead that, of you. That's the thing. Clara Bow actually feels like she's totally inserted into this in the last minute. Like, yeah, she really yeah. does. And and yet she's one of the best things in the film. So oh, yeah. Like, there's no complaint. Which uh, is a, just know. a testament to her talent. Like she... To her talent and to, you know, like, you kind of give the writing, you know, like, like it's... I guess. It's well I mean, they to don't... the degree that, like, if you're going to stick a, you know, actress in a film in the last minute and kind of, you know, make... Like... The, like, the romantic subplot, like, it works on its... Like, it's very mechanical, but it works... I don't know. I'm trying to... I'm trying to she could have been treated worse, I guess, but, I mean... <laughs> God I'm just damn. kind of thinking about like the other women in the films that we've seen up to now. And kind of like, well, she is, you know, she isn't. She doesn't literally like sweep up in a in the cab of a locomotive uh, because she, she's like her entire character is like I'm a ditz. So, she doesn't. You know. She doesn't get raped. So I guess well, that's. That puts it above like fifty percent of all women in every film made up until like nineteen eighty nine, so. and like seventy percent of the films we watch yeah, on this yeah. podcast. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> she is neither raped nor threatened with rape. You know, yeah. Um, you know, I totally believe that that character um, fucked uh, like several women in that uh, in that whorehouse. Uh, you know, by the way, I so I so hope so. So yeah, budget for this was two million, and this yeah. is way over budget, by the way. Like. The director was constantly hounded. We got to finish this under budget. Million is the final budget, although like it was budgeted way lower, and then it ended mm-hmm. up being two million. Is kind of my because he was a perfectionist, and like he, like you were saying, they were experimenting trying to get those plane shots and shit, right? So right, right, right. 
Yeah. Gross in the United States uh, at the time was six point five million. So um, big hit. Did big hit. did well. Yeah, it paid off. Oh, so one piece from the trivia here. Uh, you're right. This film marks the first time that actors were filmed flying in the air. So there you go. I looked at the IMDb trivia page because I do real work for this podcast. Yep. That's, yeah. That's what Good job. Good job. You get a gold star. I am not uh, detritus here. <laughs> uh, Paramount Pictures was keen to exploit the presence and reputation of Clara Bow by inserting a scene that required her to be topless. Yes, indeed. Could have gone longer, by the way. I, I'm just saying. Although she was mainly seen podcast from... Podcast girlfriend, Clara Bow. Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah, we're yeah. we're going to be doing more of her. Yeah, we will. Yeah. 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 She was briefly glimpsed by the camera. She has from a the front. swimming scene um, that we will definitely come back to. I immediately googled Clara yeah, Bow naked. It's, you don't. We don't need to. Uh, we don't need to talk about her. She did. Shoots. She did a lot of like nude photo shoots and stuff yeah. in her time. Like yeah. she's kind of that actress. Like again, the it girl. Like the Angelina sex symbol. Jolie. Young Angelina yeah, Jolie. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently, she didn't like the costumes that she was wearing because they didn't show off her figure. <laughs> and yeah, to be yeah, true, Angelina Jolie. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she kept fighting with the costumers to let her wear a tight belt to show off her curves. So, as a former pilot, director William A. Wellman uh, knew how vital it was to have clouds for the dogfights. Uh, so again, this is you know, it took time to find the right air conditions to actually film these scenes. Uh, but the skies over Texas, where they filmed this, were clear for the first four weeks of production, so no aerial scenes had been shot. When the executives of Paramount Pictures questioned him about the delay, he explained that without clouds, the audience would get no sense of speed or even movement, which is true. Uh, clouds give the audience a sense of perspective, speed, and direction, and without them, planes flying around in a clear sky would just look like a swarm of flies. Which, which is, yeah. Is, which is true. Like yeah, that. and and there's a lot of faraway shots too. It's like you know, you, you got a you got a plane, probably hundreds and hundreds of feet above, filming down at like a fucking squadron of planes going by over the clouds, and if you didn't have that, it'd just be like it it would be a weird kind of thing for someone to watch. Uh, in your in your research, did you? Was there model work done at all in this movie? I don't think there was. I didn't see anything. I, I think everything here was... It, there was some stuff that looked like I was kind of going like, that feels like a model. But also, uh, I couldn't find any... Like, I did kind of Google around for it, and I couldn't find anything that said, like, I didn't, oh, yeah, they were doing models. No, I think it was all stunts. I think yeah. it was all stunts, I, uh, which I, is... I completely believe it. Like, But that's also kind of like a sign of, like, how good model work sometimes is. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, it looks really realistic, but, like, looking realistic... Like looking real doesn't look realistic, and <laughs> yeah, I th- there might have been like some composite there's shots. A, there's a um, there's a um, a shot where like two two planes uh, crash crash into yeah. one another like nose to nose, and that like shot because of the way it's like you know wide shot and then it goes to a close up and then mm-hmm. like it's like you know and then it kind of cuts away and you don't kind of get a sense of the scale. Kind of felt like modeling from you're like probably a 21st right. century perspective. You're probably but right, but it could very easily be they're in a hangar in San Antonio, and you know they put two planes on wires, or they put two planes, and they put the camera like kind of right there, and they knew exactly how much like 
footage they needed to sort of like sell it and then just cut everything else. Um, I mean, I th- I think there might have been a couple composite shots here and there, but for the most yeah. part, everything looks Although, like stunts. At that time, they wouldn't even have called it a composite shot. Like all this stuff had to be yeah. edited. You know, by hand with razor blade, essentially like that's sort of edited. <laughs> right. Like, this. like we haven't really talked enough about editing uh, up to this point, but um, anyway, yeah, move on. Sorry, we're wrapping up here. I'm just kind of like uh, I'm just we're we're kind of ending the silent era. I mean, we will do like two more silent films next week, but uh, we are we are uh, kind of getting to the end. So I felt like uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, you know that's it. Uh, what are we doing next week, Daniel? I uh, closed the tab. One second. Is Metropolis one of them? Metropolis. We're not doing Metropolis right okay. away. Um, I mean, we could. I was trying to... I don't know. It's kind of one of those, like, that's an obvious one. Mm-hmm. You know, like so, so I was trying to kind of avoid kind of leaning into that. Uh, I feel like we can come back to it later. Sure. Um, I was uh, thinking we're going to do two films... We've got two westerns, in old Arizona and the Virginian, uh, right. from nineteen twenty eight and nineteen twenty nine. Um, no, actually, better idea. We're going to do the Man Who Laughs from nineteen twenty eight next. Uh, okay. Next, you know. Cool. And the Man Who Laughs, uh, widely considered to be uh, the inspiration for the Joker, right? Who was created uh, in the early forties. Um, and but like, this makeup was kind of the thing, so we're gonna do that, and then we'll do in old Arizona and the Virginian uh, the week after. Cool, because the man who lasts is twenty eight, and then the twenty eight and twenty nine. So we will not be going backwards. We are still moving forwards, which is kind of the whole goal. But yeah, man who lasts. That's our that's our film for next week. Excellent, excellent. Uh, so Daniel, tell people where can they uh, find you on these old interwebs. Uh, well, if you choose to find me, I'm mostly, uh, I'm mostly talking about American politics on, uh, on, on Twitter right now, mm-hmm. um, and yelling at people because, uh, you know, <laughs> we're all gonna, we're all gonna die when, uh, Biden loses to Trump, um, if, if they vote for Biden. Uh, anyway, yeah. I'm on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. You can find that and all the other stuff that I do there. I do another podcast um, with a friend of the pod, uh, Jack Graham, uh, called I Don't Speak German. And uh, that's uh, because I've spent the last nearly four years, believe it or not, listening <laughs> to literal neo-Nazi propaganda for like 30 to 40 hours a week. And so I'm an expert on that. And these people uh, hate me and fear me and uh block me and um because i tell the world uh what they have to say yeah and um yeah that's the other thing that i do i also um i give you a link if you're a uh a video game person i uh, guessed it on a podcast uh about uh, bioshock oh uh, you know uh, exaggerated elegy on uh, youtube Mm-hmm. I uh, I did a recording, kind of hanging out with uh, Kip Powers on that, and uh, some other some other friends of his. Uh, Bioshock is a franchise that I know very very well because I that's a thing that you don't get to hear about me talk about <laughs> on this uh, podcast. But uh, you know, uh, but that episode just dropped uh, yesterday, so uh, I'll give you a link and you can you can check that cool. out 
if you want to listen to me uh, talk about uh, the first Bioshock game. I think we're planning on doing Bioshock 2 and Bioshock Infinite at some point. And uh, I haven't listened to the whole thing, but I had a lot of fun recording it. So, um, yeah. Nice, nice. Uh, you can follow us. Uh, we, you know, in places where there are no politics or Bioshock or anything like that. But yeah. uh, <laughs> it's just titties. It's just titties and silent movies. That's it's all. Titties and silent movies. It's Claire Bow bearing her breasts and. Uh, that's kind of what we do. Uh, but you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find our Apple podcast, YouTube, Facebook links. Join the Facebook group. Can't post titties on there, but you can talk about them. I mean, you can still we, do that. We need, a, we need a private group where you can post titties. That way. You can't even do it in the private group. We need we need a, a place. We need a like a Twitter group thread. That's what. Like, That's yeah. You and I and all of our listeners where uh you can post uh titties yeah you know if, if you want to if you want to post titties let us know and we'll, we'll, maybe we'll set that up <laughs> <laughs> slide into my dms ultimately yeah <laughs> why does anyone listen to this podcast that's the that's i don't the, i don't get it i don't, I don't get it at all <laughs> this podcast the only the only reason we do this is so that lee and i can sit and like goof around for an hour I mean, I still I keep getting people telling us that we have a good podcast, and every week we defy that. <laughs> every every week we try to prove them wrong, and they only love us more. And that's the is, uh, that's the paradox, you know. I don't get it. I don't get it. But uh, we do appreciate it all the same. Uh, and we will see you guys next time for the man who laughs. Yep. Goodbye. Hey. Henry McLean and I finished my beautiful flying machine and I'm ringing to say that I'm leaving and maybe you'd like to fly with me and hide with me baby isn't it strange how little we change isn't it sad we're insane Playing the games that we know end in tears The games we've been playing for thousands and thousands and thousands
You've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed On Sight. For other episodes, our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and our Facebook group, as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.